It's it such a pleasure to be with you this morning, although I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that kids' choir. That was amazing. And also, I learned something new today. I did not know before today that when you do announcements on the fly, it always involves grunting. So that was new. All right. Our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Here now the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This ends the reading of God's word. I just got back from a two-week trip to Glacier National Park. Absolutely wonderful place. I highly recommend it. Had absolutely wonderful time. My friend Jeff and I, so we're both nerds. Jeff is into butterflies, I'm into birds. So we spent 170 miles hiking through Glacier National Park, trying to identify all the birds and butterflies that we could find, uh, as well as all of the scenery, uh, which was just breathtakingly beautiful throughout, uh, throughout the park. The, uh, the first day we were there, uh, we, we didn't get started on our trail until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We had nine miles to hike to our campsite. It was absolutely fun, but we had to get all the way up to the Canada border to start. And like I could throw a rock into Canada for where we started. I didn't do that, but I could have. And so we hiked down um, one of these trails, which was called um, Lee Ridge Trail, and we headed over... Gable Pass. Gable Pass is a fairly famous pass because you get to see a mountain called Chief Mountain from there. It's a 9,000-foot mountain, but the pass is about 7,500 feet high. You're in basically tundra habitat, and as we get up to the pass, we are almost literally knocked over by what we found out later was 50-mile-an-hour winds. It was sustained winds of 50 miles an hour, at least as best as we can tell. And I think I have a picture of Gable Pass that I'd like to show you. If, um, there it is. All right, so, in, I, so I was supposed to be, I'm showing these pictures basically to justify the fact that I was editing pictures instead of working on my sermon. But this is, <laughs> this is Gable Pass, and this is Gable Mountain in front of us, and then you can see a storm that's thankfully, very thankfully, moving away from us. So we had lightning that we could see while we were up there, which is really not what you want to have when you're above the tree line on a mountain pass. But we were very thankful that the storm was going away from us, and all we had to do was deal with these sustained winds that were so strong that they nearly knocked us over. In fact, I was hiking next to my friend, and the wind nearly pushed me into him so many times that I just ended up walking behind him. It, the winds were strong enough, they nearly pulled the glasses off my friend's face as we were hiking. It was exhilarating. It was absolutely exhilarating to be up there and hike over 
uh, this mountain pass. I have another uh, photograph of Chief Mountain, if we go to the next one. This is uh, one of the views that we had a chance. I, I would like to show you so many pictures, but at some point I did actually have to work on my sermon. But So this is one, one picture of Chief Mountain that we were able to see as we were enduring the hike over uh, Gable Pass. This is Chief Mountain. And uh, it was just absolutely breathtaking, gorgeous, that even though the winds were looking to knock us over uh, and even knock the glasses off my friend's face, we were having a wonderful, wonderful time with the breathtaking beauty of God's creation that we were able to see there. I think I have one more photograph uh, of this is Gable Pass from another uh, position, but you can see Jeff there in the background. This is proof that I, I didn't go hike this by myself. Jeff is actually with me. You can kind of see him in red there on the right-hand side. When we got up to the pass, it was amazing because the, t the trail just disappeared. You could no longer see any trail. The only way we were able to find out where we were supposed to go is that there were these cairns that were built, these piles of rock. That, and you just, you get to one, and then you look for the next pile of rock, and you, and you go to that one. So the, we, it was almost impossible to walk or to hike in a straight line. The packs that were behind us were, were uh, like basically sails. And so we, we just had to fix our eyes on the cairn in front of us and do everything we can just to make it to the next one. And it was so breathtakingly beautiful that it was just an exhilarating experience. Despite how challenging it was, it was our first day carrying our packs. Uh, we were opposed by winds. We had a time crunch. We had to make it to our campsite by 9.30 to have any chance of finding it before the sun went down. But there was joy in that journey because there was beauty all around us. And our path was marked out for us. There were cairns that were there for us to see so that we didn't have to worry about losing our way. And this passage is about a similar feature of the Christian life. Because the Christian life is really about hardship and suffering. We all experience it at various times and in various places. But we have Jesus, our champion. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has marked out the path for us. And he calls us to fix our eyes on him. And he finds joy in bringing us to himself and leading us through the struggles of this life into the new heavens and new earth. The book of Hebrews was written as a kind of sermon for believers that were weary and losing heart in the faith. Jewish readers at this time that were reading this for the first time, they, they faced persecutions because of their faith, because of their faith in Jesus. But because they were uh, of Jewish descent, uh, Judaism was a legal religion. They could have avoided all persecution by simply rewinding the clock of redemptive history back to the time before Jesus and just live as if they were Jews without the coming of the Messiah. They could have avoided all of it, and that was the temptation that they faced. To compromise their faith, to return to Judaism, that would allow them to be protected from persecution. And so the call of the book of Hebrews is a call for them to endure. To endure even if they have to suffer at the cost of their lives. 
He wrote to encourage them because the life of, in Christ is far superior than anything Judaism has to offer. And that's a hard message to sell when living the Christian life might mean shedding your own blood. But even with persecution, the Christian life and the Christian faith is better because we have Jesus, our Messiah, who promises to be with us and to lead us through the struggles of this life into the new heavens and new earth. And so in chapter 11, we see a catalog of people in the Old Testament who had persevered in various kinds of trials in their life of faith, and they had a cloud of witnesses. They become a cloud of witnesses for us, cheering us on as we live our life today. They are witnesses not only because they are testimony to God's faithfulness in the past, but they are also witnesses because they witness us as we live our lives today. The life we live in the wake of Christ is something that they could only have hoped for, but it's what we get to experience in the church today. And so the text refers to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. And there's some really interesting translations of this that you can find. Many translations uh, have uh, translate this in different ways. Author and perfecter, founder and perfecter. Uh, what commentary seem to indicate is that the idea here is the beginning and the end. It even uses the uh, prefix meaning beginning for founder and end for perfecter. And the idea that's being that's being conveyed here is Jesus as our champion. He is the one that marked out the path ahead of us, and he is the one who wins the race for us. He is our champion because he won the race of life in our place, despite suffering and shame. He is our champion because he lived this life without sin. But even more than that, he endured great suffering on the cross on our behalf. And what is striking to me in this passage is what motivated him to do that. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He suffered the wrath of God for our sin to redeem us and to bring us to himself. And he endured the scorn and shame of sinful persecutors for us for joy. Not just because he loved us. He did love us, but he loved us so much he took joy in bringing us to him even at the expense of this kind of suffering, enduring the wrath of God for our sins. He loved us so much that for the joy of having fellowship with us, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and rose again on the third day to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And by his spirit, he brings us to him to save us from our sins and restore fellowship with us. It was this joy, driven by love, that motivated him to endure the agony and shame on the cross. We made it to our campsite that day. We uh, made it just before sundown. We got our camp set up. We uh, had our dinner. We went right to bed. The next morning, we got up, and I met another uh, couple there. They were my parents' age. They were like in their 70s. Oops, my mom is, my mom is here. They were 39 and holding. <laughs> but they, um, they, we saw that they were my parents' age, and they had hiked over Gable Pass before we had. 
And they told us that storm that I showed you, that's when they hiked over Gable Pass, was in the middle of that storm. They said the storm was so bad that uh, they had to shelter under the rain flies of their tents to escape the worst of the storm. They said three times they had to stop on the top of Gable Pass because the rain had gotten so bad. And they, at times, were fearful uh, of just how bad that could have been for them. And so the husband tells me the story, and then the wife chimes in and says, we call this type two fun, <laughs> which, which I absolutely loved. I love that term, type two fun. Anytime we had a story, uh, something that happened to us that we weren't enjoying at the time but would make a good story afterwards, we call that type two fun. It's a fun story to tell after the fact, even if it's not so fun when you're going through it. Uh, and I got to thinking after they tell this story that most of us really enjoy, you know, type one fun, the fun that is fun as you're going through it. We, we seek out those kinds of, of things to do. But fewer of us uh, seek out type two fun. But some of us actually do. I mean, I, I ran a marathon back in February. That's type two fun. You start out running and it becomes progressively more miserable until you're finished. And I did the Florida Marathon where you had to cross over the bridge over the causeway over the Indian River. That's around mile 25. And that was sheer agony going up that at mile 25 of a marathon. But I willingly did it. I knew what was coming. I went through it. I, I did that. Some of us seek out type two fun. But what happens here is even more than that. What Jesus went beyond just type two fun for us because he didn't benefit from the suffering that he endured. He did it not to benefit himself, not to have a story to tell later, not to have this sense of accomplishment that I had when I crossed the finish line of the marathon. I, he did it to benefit us. He enjoyed us so much that he did what didn't benefit him at all, save just restoring fellowship with his people. And what this means is that you are wanted. What this means is that you are loved. God isn't satisfied with tolerating life without us. And he doesn't just tolerate our presence with him. He loves us so much that he finds joy in restoring fellowship with you and me and the cross, enduring even suffering and shame to bring that about. I remember being in middle school. I think I might have tell, told the story before. I had three friends that I thought were my best friends in the world. Every Sunday, I would come into church, and I would hang out with my three friends. One of my, one of the, the mothers of one of my friends came up to me on one Sunday morning and said, um, I'm so sorry that my son didn't invite you to his birthday party. Uh, uh, next time, I'll make sure that, that you are invited, but I'm so sorry that he didn't, he didn't invite you. And that was the first that I had learned that there was a birthday party that I wasn't invited to. And 
so all three of my friends had a party together that I wasn't invited to. And I began to realize that they found greater joy in being together without me than they would have if I was there. That's why, at least the way I interpreted as a 12-year-old kid, that's why I was left out. And that was a hurt that lasted for years, and it led to a rift in my friendship with those, those kids. And the reality here is this. The cross does not give us room to think this way about our Savior. Jesus willingly endured the cross to restore fellowship for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to bring us to himself. The gospel teaches us that our Savior loves us and enjoys us more than life itself. And so he found joy in restoring us to him, even at the cost of his own life. And this gospel should motivate us as well. We are called in this passage to persevere. We are called to cast aside the sin that so easily entangles, to endure a life of hardship, because even if that endurance entails suffering, we do it in the path that Jesus has marked out for us. We do it in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who our champion, who lived this life ahead of us and for us. The first readers of this epistle were facing persecution so great that they may have even suffered death at the hands of their persecutors. Not the kind of thing that we typically experience today. But the exhortation here is clear. We cannot hope to get through the Christian life without suffering and hardship. And the author is calling us to endure through hardship, fixing our eyes on Jesus and being willing to suffer even to the point of death to follow him. But Jesus wasn't leading us through something that he hadn't been through himself. He wasn't just sitting up in heaven telling us, do this, don't do that. He led us by coming to us and living among us and living a life of suffering so that he might sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He endured the hostility of sinful men just like the Hebrews were being called to endure. He endured great suffering to secure our salvation and he calls us to follow in his steps the race that is marked out for us. We often think of champions as people that we like to emulate. If on my, on my screen for, for my Zoom meetings, I have my background is Elliot Kipchoge. I don't know if you know him. He's a marathon runner. Uh, he's the world record holder, and he's the only guy to run a marathon under two hours. So I put a picture of him getting ready to cross the finish line. He's got his hands up, and he's smiling. And so that I can be, when I go into a meeting, I'm actually in front of him. So I can say, I'm ahead of world record pace, and I'm not even breaking a sweat. So, but I, I love the picture because it's inspiring to me. I see it, and I want to go running. But Jesus, as our champion, is more than just the world record holder of life. This, he is a champion in a much larger sense. 
He is the author and perfecter of our faith because this is a race that he's already won. And he's purchased that victory for us who follow in his place. He has already been found faithful. His victory over sin and death secures for us our salvation. We're running in a race that is already won for us. And so we run not to secure victory for, ourse for ourselves. Victory has already been won for us. We run because we follow in the footsteps of our Savior to live the life that Jesus lived behind him because the pattern of his life is a pattern of, for our lives to emulate, and it's better than the life that would be lived without him, even with the suffering and trials that we endure. He finished the race but found joy in benefiting us, not just himself, and he calls us to live that kind of fun. That kind of, it's beyond type two fun. It's the kind of life that we live to enjoy giving ourselves to benefit others so that others might be pointed to Christ because of the way we live our lives in the midst of others. There is joy in this journey, even when we struggle, even when we suffer, even if at times we might even be persecuted because we can give benefit to others by God's Spirit, by the way we live our lives in community with others. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy of bringing salvation to us. And he sends his Spirit to empower us to live that life, to run that race that's been marked out for us ahead of time, the cairns that I had to follow as I crossed Gable Pass. And we can't make the suffering go away. I couldn't make the winds stop as I was going over Gable Pass. The couple before us couldn't make the storm subside and the lightning stop. All we can do is endure it. But Jesus has been there through it, through it before us. And he has secured our victory. We all have struggles of various kinds. Some of us are, are struggling with illness, sometimes severe illnesses. Some of us are grieving children or family members that aren't following the faith. Some of us are experiencing marital troubles. Some of us may be even wondering if we're even going to make it. Some of us might be experiencing financial difficulties or trouble at work. Some might even be experiencing opposition to their faith. And sometimes in these struggles, sometimes we fall. Sometimes the wind knocks us down. Despite the call of this passage to throw away everything that entangles every sin that would hinder us, sometimes the wind just knocks us down. But Jesus is our champion. And he's already won. And so even when we fall, we never fail because Jesus has secured our victory for us. We can't make the struggles go away, and Jesus never promises that he will, not until the new heavens and new earth. Instead, he's already purchased victory for us and calls us to endure because the life lived 
following in his, in his footsteps is superior to the life that we could live without him. I didn't realize how much I had been affected by that experience when I was in middle school. That and other events that happened led me to come up with a little coping mechanism that I used to protect myself from future disappointment. And I learned to basically protect myself from the disappointment of thinking that my friends didn't really like me as much by trying to interpret the words that people told me in the most negative possible way. So like if they said something, hey, why don't you come with us? I figured, well, they're just having pity on me, that kind of thing. And I would do this over and over and over again throughout high school. And I kind of, I thought I'd kind of outgrown it through uh, my high school years. But after I graduated seminary, uh, I, I, I went and um, took a psychological test for a mission agency. And afterwards, I we talked with the psychologist who looked at the exam. And he actually noticed it in some of my answers. And he asked me about it. And I said, yeah, that that." That's actually a struggle that apparently I have. I didn't even realize I had it anymore. And I realized that I still had this tendency of coping with the disappointment of, of losing my friendships by just reinterpreting what people say to me in such a way that I won't actually have to believe they want me around. And I went from that experience to taking a position up in Maryland uh, I was, and the, a pastor there, the mission pastor at the church that I was a part of, took me under his wing. He was a man by the name of Dan Faber. And he saw a value in me that I didn't see in myself. And what I didn't realize is the ministry that he was having in my life simply by enjoying me. He, I did my internship for ordination under him, and he liked having me around. He invited me to, to come over to his house. I got to know his family, uh, his kids. Uh, and over the years that I worked for him, uh, he, he just loved me and enjoyed me. And over time, I began to realize that there was no way I could reinterpret his actions or his words in such a way that I had developed this habit of doing. And he wasn't preaching the gospel to me. He was embodying it, just in the way that he cared for me. I learned from him, and from my wife, and from others, and my children. I, I, I learned from his friendship the joy he took in his relationship with me. I learned a little bit more about the joy my Savior has in me as well. There is beauty in the gospel. There is joy in the journey as we go through this life and we have a tremendous power to have an impact on the people that are in our lives for good or for ill. But by God's spirit, we can live lives embodying the gospel in the lives of the others that God has put in our paths, in our paths. The message of the gospel is powerful, but the God calls the church to embody that message in the community that he creates here 
at University Presbyterian Church. I just spent two weeks alone with another guy in the back country of Glacier National Park, and never once did I doubt that he wanted me there with him. It was a great experience. And I never would have thought that way when I was in high school. As God's people, by his spirit, we can have an enormous impact on each other simply by fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the race that Christ has marked out for us. Let's call this type three fun. It's fun not just lived because it's fun at the time, and it's fun not just because it tells a good story afterwards. It's fun because we get to give ourselves for others, and others get to become closer to Jesus because of the way we give our lives for them. This is why we cast off all sins and other distractions to distract us from this goal so that we might follow him. Jesus crossed heaven and earth to redeem us and found joy in giving life to us at the expense of his own. And this is the kind of life we can live for each other, a life in which we give ourselves to point others to Christ, that they might find life as well. And this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. We call it communion because in the cross, Jesus established communion with us where the joy that he endured the cross to achieve is represented here in this meal. His presence is with us. Jesus is here by his spirit as the host of this table. I am not the host. This is not the host. Jesus is with us as the host of this table. He is here by his spirit and he encourages us to feed on him by faith as we follow him. And so as we prepare, let's recite the faith that we all hold in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Mary. He, he suffered, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Pilate was, was crucified, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third, third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is the confession of our faith, and this is the Lord's table, where Jesus pledges to sustain us in this journey. This is not an empty ritual that we perform simply to remember Christ. This is testimony to Jesus' death 
and resurrection. And if you are a member of a, good, of, a, of a church in good standing where this gospel is preached, I invite you to come, to come and enjoy this meal. If you are not yet a believer, we ask that you would let these elements pass you by because this is the Lord's table and it's for those who belong to him. But we ask that you would be a welcome observer of our meal. And we are also going to be treated to the children's choir. If the children could come up again. Um, while they are on their way up, let me read a passage from Isaiah chapter 55, which I think will anticipate the song we're about to hear. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money? For that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live and i may and i will make you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for david Let's hear the 